Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to Steam Cleaners, presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Each week, I and my lovely co-host, and every now and then, when we are lucky, a special guest, uh, come in to talk about some video games, games that we've been playing and would like to talk about with you because we've never talked about them on this show before. Uh, so I am joined, as always, uh, by uh, Walter, C80's Fetchuck. Walter, how you doing, buddy? You know, Chase... Today, I was listening to one of the newest episodes of Behind the Bastards, and I was quite disheartened to learn that you and I both have some things in common with Sam uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, you being a terrible League of Legends player, and me also hating Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> I, it's quite disappointing that we have such things in common with uh, one of you know the world's greatest monsters, um, and I can only hope that one day... You get good. Well, you know, at least we don't also share a questionable connection to the cryptocurrency agency in our uh, industry and our professional careers, because that would be real, real uh, unfortunate. Um, But we don't have to worry about that uh, at all. Totally fine. Everything went great. Uh, But we have here as our guest, the lovely Kristen Pinolo. Kristen, how are you doing today? I am good. I haven't listened to that most recent episode, so I'm excited to learn what all that was about. I can't believe you don't like Shakespeare. Oh my god. Ugh. We gotta, we gotta... I, Walter, I your, find your taste. Him, I find, like, I respect that he has such an impact on the mm-hmm. English language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate that every fucking language arts and English class in the United States feels the need to shove him down my throat. You were just scarred. You were scarred as a, as a high schooler, but uh, we absolutely we move on. There, there is always a difference between a thing that you read because you had to and yes. a thing that you read because you'd like to. Absolutely. And the same book can look very differently in those different contexts. Um, just like the world looks just a bit different now than Henry Kissinger's not in it. A thing that all three of us can celebrate and uh, enjoy as a thing to bring us all together. Uh, especially if we've been, uh, have either of you gone back and listened to the Kissinger Behind the Bastards episodes? Because that's what I've been doing uh, anytime I've been cooking oh, the last few days. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing. You uh, know, as, sorry, I didn't mean to... <laughs> cut you off there but uh chase we've talked about it and it is disconcerting that this that it is a comfort listen for both of us (laughs) it does get me weird looks at parties when i bring it up but walter what was your favorite fact about henry kissinger i mean besides that like he dated barbara walters and was apparently a sex god um it was that it was that The, the second most interesting fact about him was i found out what a champagne list was because mm-hmm. you you and I, when we were texting about it, you're like, yeah, I, he's on the champagne list. So I enjoyed a nice old fashioned that evening, uh, you know, because much like Henry Kissinger, just wanted to be stuck in the 60s for a little while, you know? <laughs> he was not a sex god. Absolutely. We need to clarify this. He just he dated a lot of women and he paid attention to them, unlike a lot of prominent men at that time. Yeah, he was basically the opposite of Donald Draper in Mad Men. Bar could not have been lower, um, which says a lot when women can look at Henry Kissinger as the favorable option. And the only response we can really have is, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I don't love it, but I get how you got there, unfortunately. I hope um, that secretly it was actually much like, uh, again, listening to Behind the Bastards, like the Holy Rollers uh like oh, had honcho yeah. is that he was just you know hung like a horse so <sighs> that would make it a lot more explainable i i mean it, it does seem like uh he was too like he dated a lot of people but it seemed like he was too busy for the for that side of things more mm-hmm. often than not but you know what this is not the time to legislate um what kissinger did and did not do uh in his uh in the privacy of his own uh, home between ordering bombings and uh, various war crimes during his career. Um, or is this a time to, uh, I, I guess ultimately it's a time to just talk about video games. That's that's the whole reason we're here. And Walter, I hear that you have a video game or perhaps two in mind for us today. So what have you been playing? Yes, this week I played Rolling Thunder, a Henry Kissinger story. 
I, there is a game I've been playing recently where you can basically build your own Henry Kissinger. And I will get to it on the pod another day. I'm imagining this is not that. No, no, I, I did not play anything related directly to Henry Kissinger. But maybe towards philosophy of Henry Kissinger. No, it's funny that we started off in the Shakespeare mentioning and, and discussions of English class because... You know, I, I don't know. I probably told Chase this story in, in in person, but my senior year of high school, I was in AP literature and the teacher for that class and I did not get along. Um, again, I don't really like Shakespeare. We spent like, you know, two months on Shakespeare. I hated Weathering Heights. Guys, a tree is a fucking tree. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's a fucking tree. The leaves change. Because it's a fucking season, right? Like, I, got, I get it. I got hands for you, Walter. L- listen, I promise for you. I understand. Not my thing. I don't care that it's the world's, like, first soap opera. Like, I don't fucking care, right? Spent two months on wow. that. We get to 1984. My fucking shit. Give me some dysutopian literature. Give me some Huxley discussions. Give me some Animal Farm discussions. Get me all up in that George Orwell. One week. That is all we spent on 1984. This all is going to make sense because I spent one week, not in real time, like not in real time, not in game time, but one week playing the Orwell series. Chase, do you know what the Orwell series is? I do. Uh, I played the first one uh, all the way through. Uh, it, it was a, it was a, a very interesting experience, but also not one that captivated me enough that I ever got around to playing the second one. Uh, before we get into like the mechanics of it all, because it is kind of an, an interesting delve into that security state. Kristen, what's your experience with the Orwell series? Uh, my experience with the Orwell series is that I have I have purchased the first game and it is in my Steam library. <laughs> So what what drew you to purchase it then? What are the uh, things that that interested you enough to buy it, but not enough to play it? I look. I also enjoy dystopian literature, nineteen eighty four. I have I heard good things from at the time it came out from video game podcast people that I follow. So I think I picked it up in a sale, and you know it just hasn't look. I'm going to get around to it one day. Uh, One day I will play it. And maybe this will spark that play, is hearing Walter talk about it. Well, that that is the question, isn't it, Walter? So so for people who haven't uh, heard of it or haven't opened the game up themselves quite yet, how would you describe the actual gameplay experience of Orwell? So it is going to be very similar to a game like Papers, Please, right? where you are going to be given information that you have to parse over and you have to determine what information is important, uh, what information is true, what information is false. Uh, And I would liken it closer to, um, in in the gameplay sense, papers, please, but more in like a choose-your-own-adventure novel, right? You have multiple choices And while some of them, you're going to be taking a lot of the information and adding it to these dossiers that you're creating, you will have these moments of choice where you have conflicting information and you need to determine or guess which piece of information is correct. You may have, let's say, a wedding photo of two characters, but then you have a text message between one of the characters and someone else that says, oh, I'm not married. Well... What determines which piece of information is true? Is it that the text message is from prior to the photo being taken? Do you stumble upon and dig through some other information and determine that, well, they were married, but they're not anymore. They're now divorced or separated. You kind of are parsing through this information. Uh, And I guess where you get this information from, um, Orwell is a giant police state apparatus Um, that keeps track of everybody's communications. uh, And when you unlock certain pieces of information, like let's say somebody's um, IP address, you then get to hack into their computer and go through all their personal files and and, and look at the weird porn that they watched in their browser history. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it is it is a fascinating delve, right? Any of us who have spent too much time on the internet know just how much of ourselves is out there and how easy it is for people to work their way backwards. Um, if you've ever got an email from a website that you have an account with saying that that website has been hacked and your you know, account information is just hanging out there in the ether for anyone to grab onto, it's so easy to think about how certain bits out of context could paint a very different picture of who you are in the life that you lived. And so I guess over the course of this game, right, um, you're really just trying to determine what things are worth focusing on and highlighting, right? Like, what are the things that you're bringing to the bosses that they can act on with this kind of secret police force that you've got going on? And what are the things that you choose to keep to yourself, which has a lot to do more with your personal politics than anything uh, in the gameplay, right? Yeah. Would you so, say that? Yeah, because it, it is fascinating, right? Because uh, inherently, I would be against any kind of system like this, like just diametrically opposed to it. I don't believe a police state is a good thing, and I, I would probably fight against something like this, right? And there is sort of an incongruency as you're playing the beginning of this game because you have to engage with the system in order to like learn how to do all the things and like sort of tutorial thing and to like make the game move forward you have to still provide information you can't just sit there and give absolutely no information so inherently you're playing a video game right it's hard to be immersed in this when you're so diametrically opposed to what you're doing so that's kind of how i did it i was like okay i'm just playing a video game so i'm gonna go along with the premise that i am this mindless drone right that is willingly giving information to this investigator that is then taking that information and is drawing the conclusions that the nation which is the company the country that you are in this you know mythical area to then they draw the conclusions, right? Um, and there is like, there's blatantly false information, right? So the the story that is going on is there is this domestic terrorist group that is bombing uh, public places, right? They bomb a, they bomb a, uh, a fountain, they bomb a, uh, a school, a university, and then they bomb a mall. And part of what you are trying to do is connect all these dots and figure out who exactly is the culprit behind it. And it starts by following this woman and you eventually get to like her equivalent of a Facebook page and underneath her, like, you know, like where she lives, it says Wonderland, right? Because she's this very artsy, avant-garde, you know, type person. So if you pull that she lives in Wonderland from her Facebook page and put it into the dossier, the investor goes like, I, I find that highly unlikely, like fuck off, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. then later on, if you have information and you made a determination, like let's say going back to the marriage example, you said, oh, well, this person is married, but then stumble across later on, you know, a, a, a love letter or, or texting exchanges between them and a third person, you know, that, in, you know, hints at an intimate relationship, then the investigator makes the connection oh, they're cheating on their spouse, right? You're just providing information and another character that you're not playing is the one that takes that information and draws a conclusion. And then that even goes further in the second game where you can then take the information you're giving the investigator and craft social media narratives that go out from like burner, you know, government burner accounts to then try and change the narrative of what is going on and to try and besmirch uh, the the main, I would I guess, antagonist in that game. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I guess like that's something obviously I think uh, a lot of us can relate to. You know, Kristen, for your job, right, you're often tasked with synthesizing information and trying to figure out what to include as oh, part yeah. of the exhibits that you work on. I... Does does this ring uh, true to you in terms of like the ways that ch picking and choosing certain facts can lead to a different interpretation of, of oh, the whole piece? Completely. And whether certain accounts are trustworthy or not, even 
artists talking about themselves in older age when they can't exactly remember when things happen. It's like you want to, I don't know, what is truthful, what is not, and also crafting the, uh, the story that you want to tell or trying to kind of create a, a tableau with all of the facts that you've picked out. It's, it's very interesting. I, I think it's a really uh, compelling bit of gameplay that Walter's described. It, it's certainly, it's, it's a fascinating concept, especially like the unreliability of some of that information, right? I think if I, if I think back on the most fun I had with like history and English classes in college, like it's, it's once you recognize that like, oh, people lie. I love it. Like people lie all the time. And so you have to like check multiple places and see like, where do these lies track? And like, oh, this guy fucking hated that guy. So of course he said all these negative things about him. So maybe we shouldn't be listening to that bit. Um, which to, to bring that in a game, I, I thought was a really interesting concept. Now, Walter, I'm curious you, cause you played the second one. So clearly for the first one, it resonated with you enough to, to keep going. So how did you feel about the ending of the first game? You, you don't have to necessarily get into all of the details if we want to save some things for later. Um, but in general, like that's really where your actions kind of come to a head. Do you, did you feel like it stuck the landing, challenged you in your assumptions in any way, or at least kind of satisfied some of these themes you were building towards? I mean, again, so because I'm so diametrically opposed to this, right, you have like the num numerous ending choices, right? You have the choice of like, well, the nation is correct. We have to do whatever possible to, you know, prevent terrorists from, from harming our citizenry. Uh, you get the sort of like murky kind of in the middle. You get the like pro-terrorist and not like pro-pro-terrorist, but pro what this group that's being labeled as terrorists you know, what their mission and all of this is. And you get like kind of the chaos ending, which is just like you fuck everyone over because you have unlimited power, right? Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't leave it being like, man, I'm sure glad I learned that police states are an awful thing, right? Like I already fucking knew that. Like I already believed in that. I didn't need a video game to, to tell me or teach me that. And like overall, like the problem is, is you go, oh, well, it's like, it, it, it's really interesting. That you have to like parse all this data, right? Um, you also could just like put all the fucking data in the, in the dossier, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are, are some options, right? That are definitive choices. You have to say this person is married or this person is not married, but for the most part, anything else you can just throw willy nilly into the information and let the investigator determine whether it is important, not important, what ordering things go in, things like that. And the fact that when you put the random information in, some of it unlocks access to more documentation or more websites or more file folders or connections or things like that. The game doesn't really punish you for taking the random information that's there to be like frivolous and more just like character building and throwing it into that dossier, which is something that the second game does try to get a grip on, right? And one of the early mm. parts of the second game, they say, well, each piece of information you put into the Orwell system, the system is called Orwell, hence why the game is called Orwell. Uh, ha ha ha, police state. Um, they do say, like, each piece of information you put in here takes 10 minutes, right? And then the clock at the top will tick 10 minutes over. So you start at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning and obviously you have sort of time gates, right? There are events that happen in the second game where you are told, oh, you have until 6 p.m. and this thing is going to happen and we need to stop this thing from happening. Where in the first game, that really doesn't happen until you get to the very, very end and you're given like, okay, you can parse 20 pieces of information. And then instead of me being very like critical thinking, I'm more just like, oh shit, what's important? What's important? What's important? And getting frustrated that I feel like I'm missing information, but I'm down to three, you know, three things I can click on and I'm not sure which one is actually going to give me, you know, what is the missing, either it's the missing piece to what I'm looking for, it's going to give me access to another document, or it's absolutely a waste of my time. And that doesn't feel, it feels um, hectic in a way that's not like trying to evoke a sense of like stress as you're trying to stop this event from happening, but more in a just like, 
well, how the fuck do I choose? I don't get any feedback until I put the information in. And you're telling me I only get a limited amount of chances to put information in. Um, so I will say, I do think that change in the second game of making it be like, it ticks the clock forward and you have to complete things by a certain time in game or else the event happens and you like miss a chance to, to alter it or stop it or whatever. I do find that like a really nice change of pace from game one to game two. It certainly captures a different angle on mm -hmm. the security state idea, right? The first is this idea of like, okay, given infinite time, you can craft things in any number of ways based on the information that you have. The other is to say, well, we don't have infinite time. Like mm -hmm. we, we are in a, a hectic, uh, you know, the, I don't want, industry is not the right word, but a, a position in which things are going to move quickly. And if you don't find what's needed, well, then you didn't find it. Um, which inherently, right, when we talk about the real world, it's the reason the security states never work nearly as efficiently as they want to is because by the time you're actually able to parse all of that information, if you are truly capturing everything, the odds of capturing the thing that you actually want is quite low. Um, so I, I, I have to ask, uh, is, there, is there a catch here, Walter? Because right now what you're describing is like, oh, that's a nice little adaptation to the gameplay from the first one. So it sounds like the second one would be, uh, if you like the first one, you should definitely play the second one. But I'm not fully getting that from you yet. Is that where this is ending up? Or are there some problems along the way with the sequel? So I, I think like the biggest problem with the sequel is that it's not a sequel. It's not an actual sequel. It's a season two. It's, it's DLC. Successor? It's a continue. Yeah, it's continuation of the first game, right? And I do think it's done like very interestingly, right? So you can import the data from the first game into Ooh. the second game and the things that are happening in the background, right? The, the background elements will match what happened from the first game because the second game takes place in the exact same timeline that the first game does. You are a different member of Orwell and you are, in this instance, you are dealing with a, a, a dissident journalist, basically, a, a, a journalist that is a refugee from a neighboring, uh, a neighboring state that has dealt with uh, a, a civil war, essentially, in that state. And the nation partnered with one of the groups, uh, uh, honestly, a military dictator, to squash any sort of civil war to put this uh this dictator in charge and to maintain stability in this neighboring company uh Paragis in order to make sure that their nation stays stable and i i really don't want to get too political on this podcast not not like directly worldview political um because i have very little understanding about uh, Israel and Palestine. And I don't know if that is the intent of this game to sort of emulate what's going on in the Middle East in that way. But what because of, you know, I was playing it a week ago and what's going on in the world, it gave me a lot of kind of reflection and sort of comparison to the events that are happening in, in Israel and Palestine right now. And how there is this journalist basically taking to social media, taking to his blog and is trying to, you know, expose his home country's government and that the nation really doesn't have that country's best interests in mind. But how he goes about doing it is very shock jockey, like cancel culture. Like they're trying to cancel me because I'm telling the truth. But the way he is telling the truth is inherently built on lies, right? He is not wrong for wanting to say that the nation doesn't have the best interests of his home country at heart and that the leader is really this, you know, morally corrupt, uh, you know, dictator. But he is not without sin and how he builds himself is a you know is a cause of conflict and is something that you as the Orwell 
in you know investigator essentially can utilize to try and be his undoing um but it definitely evokes a very modern issue a very you know modern um kind of problem that's happening here you know the the latter half of uh, of 2023 the latter quarter of 2023 um which I mean, like, the but here is that the reason why I say it's a DLC is, like, I beat the first game in about four hours, and I beat the second game in just over two. Mm. And to spend, currently, if you were to buy them off Steam, like, spend 20 bucks on both of them is a little, like, okay, like, the gameplay here is very, like, I spy-y. Is there really enough to it? And it did not grab me the way that I really hoped it to. And like, again, I guess some of that might be, I already think a police state is bad. So this game trying to be like, police states are bad, aren't they? Is like, yep, yep, I, I already knew that. Um, and I honestly, like, I don't think I would have gone out of my way to, to play these games, right? Like, I don't think I would have gone out of my way to buy them because of what I see on the the Wikipedia page or the Steam page or whatever. Like, it just so happens I got both of these games in Humble Bundles at one point. And for the podcast, I was like, well, the game that I had originally wanted to talk about this week is going to take me a lot longer to play than I anticipated. And I'm okay with that. But I kind of wanted to find something that I could beat, you know, in that 10 to 15 hour mark. And looked at both of them, saw that, completing both of them was very doable in that time frame uh, and decided to play them. And like, yeah, they're okay. Like it's an interesting concept. Like it's a video game. There's some, some interesting ideas behind this, but I kind of agree with like the second one has a very mixed review on steam uh, recently. And I'm just like, yeah, like I don't think this is anything groundbreaking. I think it's sort of tepid. Do you feel that way about the first one as well? Or do you think the first one is better executed? I think the first one, if they had added the time mechanic that they have in the second game, would be a much better game. Because I didn't feel penalized for like putting extraneous information in there, right? Like, mm. I put Wonderland in there because, like, I don't know where she fucking lives. I'll just put it in here for now. And, like, the joke, the, like, quip is like, ah, ha, ha, very funny. But, like, there's no punishment for it. Like, I don't get, like, booted out of the system. I don't mm -hmm. get, like, a, an X and, like, I have to balance. Like, I can't get three red Xs or anything like that. Like, there is, as far as I can tell, there's, like, no punishment for that. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I think it's a very interesting idea. And I would assume back in 2016 when it came out, the, the you know, the idea behind it would be interesting and unique and, and um maybe a little less like depressing because this game came out in 2016 and here we are in 2023 and with just like how the the internet is absolutely ex you know truly exploded with all the different uh with all the different social medias and cryptocurrency and web3 and nfts and and the fucking trump administration like all of this shit makes what is occurring in this game uh, in both of these games feel mundane because we're kind of living this right now. And the the game is not as extreme as real life is, right? Yeah, it like, feels like we've kind of jumped the shark a little. Right. Well, welcome to the downside of being the canary in the coal mine. Um, it's good to have one of those, but, after, you know, once, once you know what's going on in there, the canary doesn't have a, a long-term purpose in quite the same way i suppose like we know these things these are now so built into our society and our understanding and i think that was why because i i'm gonna be honest with you here i said earlier in this podcast that i played the first one and did not play the second one fun fact i did play the second one i played it on my <laughs> twitch account and i don't remember anything from it whatsoever wow um and i don't think it's because the second game is worse mechanically i i do think maybe slightly less interesting because the first one existed but like both of these games now i compare you know if you were to look at something like not for broadcast which rt game did an incredible playthrough of one of their episodes on it like there are 
there are a lot of dynamic games that approach the same ideas that have built off of this that have some things that are listed here in this game and explored here as like oh could you imagine people doing this and like yes take it as like okay we all know this is the yes, thing literally so, yes <laughs> what well yeah what what do we do beyond that it's the next it's the next question i guess and so for me, my recommendation with Orwell has always been, well, did you read Orwell? Because if you didn't, then this will probably give you a pretty good kind of preview in an interactive way. Like I would show that game to like teenagers in high school as part of the curriculum. Like, hey, play Orwell while we're reading 1984. And I think, cool English I think it helped. I'd like to think so. Um but like, I don't know that I would recommend it to the masses, but I'm curious where, Walter, where you end up, would you recommend this game or these games? I should say. I, I really don't want to be cruel to Osmotic Studios here, right? Um, I, I don't. I would say, hey, if you, if you got it in your Steam library, sure, give it a play. If you can get it on sale, you know, because you got a couple extra bucks uh, on a Steam gift card and you want something that's just going to be a couple hours, a, 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 a kind of interesting whodunit. I will say that the first game is a lot better of a whodunit and trying to figure out who's at fault and, and sort of the intrigue behind it. Like, yeah, it's worth a couple bucks. Um, but again, it, it's a game that was made in 2016 and you know, the things that it is portraying is these like dangerous things happening to the, to the nation, right? Like it's December 7th, 2023. Israel is committing a genocide in Palestine, in Gaza. And a, a, a shooting just happened at UNLV where three people died and a fourth was, was critically injured. It's jumped the shark. And I really feel like unless games nowadays go really, really crazy with sort of their, you know, oh, let's have a take on modern terrorism in the modern world. Like, bro, unless you're doing a fucking school shooting every single day, you're not even touching what the United States is right now. So if you already have it in your Steam library, yeah, it's worth a couple hours of your time. Uh, or if you get it on sale or in like a humble bundle, yeah, it's worth a couple hours of your time. But I don't know if I would actively go out of my way to say, yes, you need to play this game. So, Kristen, does that answer your question from the start of whether this will inspire you to go give it a try? Yeah, I think I'll give it a try. I feel like games of that length are very good for like when you're traveling. So I could definitely mm. see myself playing this in an airport. The this would be a great, I've got a four, five hour flight. Yeah. I just need something that's like not too intensive to play. This is probably a great Steam Deck game if it's Steam Deck enabled. Look. Right? Soon. The, the Steam Deck's going to happen real soon. It is, uh, I do believe, let me. It is playable. Real quick. It is playable. playable. But I will also say, to your point, um, their next game that's coming out next year called Closer the Distance looks way more interesting to Ooh. me not be, because it is also a game in which you are making choices that affect the the fate of the people who are involved but you're in a small town in which um you know you play as this younger girl and there's a fatal car accident and the people in this small town are grieving and so your choices mattering are not about like the sake of this entire massive state but like helping a community heal or making it a lot worse, I suppose. Um, this which one looks that, that really cool. cool. Oh, so that's what happened to the first town from Dredge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God, Dredge. Um, a game that I think Kristen would like a lot more than I do. But I, I really want we'll to play it. Yeah, maybe really maybe good. another another podcast, perhaps. It's really good. But Chase... Let's let's get away from let's get away from the dower, right? I don't want to talk about the end of the world, right? I want to talk about something brightly colored, lighthearted, maybe a little, uh, you know, a little romance. 
Chase, please give me whatever dating simulator and visual novel that you and Kristen played this week. Well, it's funny that you mention End of the World, Walter, because Kristen and I have been playing a lovely game called Doomsday Paradise. Ah, uh, god damn it. Don't worry here, because you have a lot of badass monsters in your town. The town of, uh, I believe it's, uh, what's it? God, it, it's like Paradise Beach, something like that. Um, but you, you've got a ton of people in your town who are very good at this. Unfortunately, people think saving the world from the apocalypse is lame, because the, pop- the apocalypse happens once a week. It happens so often that people just don't take it seriously. Uh, so it's up to new people, like, say, the player, um, to uh, not only save the town by the end of the week, but maybe get a little date going for themselves along the way. Or dating multiple people, or helping other people come to date, and you just hang out with them and be their friend. Uh, because this game, unlike Monster Prom, shows a much wider range of the emotional uh, relationship spectrum the emotional relationship spectrum than uh, perhaps a monster prom does uh kristen what were your first thoughts when you were introduced to doomsday paradise so you were the one who introduced me to doomsday paradise and you said you need to we need to play this game i was like okay cool uh usually i enjoyed the games that we play but this one was uh different and in that I immediately, like, glommed onto it. Um, mm-hmm. So we played it together, and we have also played it with other people in a co-op. I've played it by myself um, as single player, also where I'm controlling all four characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun, and I hate, like, I hate to say this, and, and maybe it's been a while since... I've played Monster Prom and, and and all their games, but I, I might prefer this one because I love the combat and I love the character building. It gives me something to kind of sink my teeth into outside of visual novel romance dating sim. Which, uh, for people who know Monster Prom and know competitive dating sims, the fact that you just heard the word combat might sound uh, a little surprising, but that is the big differentiating factor between this and uh, Monster Prom. You know, Monster Prom is just all about getting the dates, maneuvering through these different relationships and getting your stats where they need to be uh, to impress the person you're most interested in. Doomsday Paradise has a combat system, and Walter, I usually I would make uh, a joke, can you guess what combat system the game chose? that ended up latching really perfectly onto my own interests. But I think we all know the answer to that one, don't we? It's a card game, baby! It's a card bow, 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 game. Sure is. Uh, and a good card game. It's fun! I, I agree with you, Kristen. It's one of those... Uh, it was very funny, because I'm, I'm on the Discord, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the Discord community in a little bit. Um, but uh, most of us who are on that community there were some endings we had not seen because we always picked the option to fight. We always wanted to destroy the enemy at the end. You have the choice to run away. You have the Mm -hmm. choice to say, fuck it. I'm not doing that. And if you do, it's actually really funny. Um, The like earlier dungeon monsters that you fought previously become playable and you get basically the equivalent of their deck and you have to play as the weaker them instead of yourself. Um, which I guess if you do really, really poorly in the combat, maybe that monster is better than what you are. Um, but the fact that they just have like, here you are with this like little man spider fighting at your side, um, getting to kind of see the game from their perspective is actually quite cool. Um, I thought that was really, um, a really fun kind of twist on it, but like, I didn't run into that for a long time because everyone I played with wanted to do the fighting. They wanted to to play the cards and pull off these combos and, and build a deck using this mix of like spells that you learn over time and uh, passive and active uh, equipment that you can get uh, to give yourself these long-term bonuses to give you special cards to the weapons that you equip. Um, and managing your resources as a result becomes more than just 
picking the thing that the person I'm dating wants. Mm -hmm. It becomes how do I make something that can actually destroy the monster that's threatening to end the world, which is a really nice touch. What was the the moment, Kristen, where you're like, this is all clicking with me. I know that I need to go buy this game for myself. And I'm going to play it a whole bunch on my own. I think, I think it was that first game that we played. And I just found that the flow between, between combat and story was, it was really fun. And it really grabbed me. I didn't fully understand what every stat did or like different effects. Um, like, you know, obviously you can, you can be beefy, you can be magic-y, you can, uh, do poison damage, all that sort of stuff. I think it was also like the fact that you could, when you're romancing, so first off, there are these quests that each character can kind of like do, and it could be like, go to the Colosseum for one of your turns, or it can also be only go to the Colosseum, which, Mm -hmm. and so in... There are drawbacks, there are advantages, and you get certain things if you complete these quests. If you complete the quest of like getting the amount of affection that you need with the person that you're trying to romance and fulfill all of that stuff, you can have them as a companion in your final fight. And you can get other companions along the way through story stuff and other things like that, things that you choose to do. And I just thought that that was such a great... I don't know why, but that to me was such a great mechanic of like, wow, the person that I have romance actually is coming into this fight with me and there's dialogue specific to it. And, you know, even if you don't end up romancing them and stuff, you'll still get something that will be some sort of boon to you in the final fight. And that is, I think, the big thing to me. Um, One of the problems I had with the early monster prom games and I think monster road trip did a great job fixing, but um, you know, there was this idea that like failure was something that players always wanted to avoid, right? Mm -hmm. Because you wouldn't get the cool ending. If you did it that way, the generic ending that you got for failing just wasn't that interesting. And you even had the developers say like, we have some really funny fail texts that like most people never go see because they always want to succeed. And it's like, yeah, that's, 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 being a gamer, that sure is the thing that we're we're hardwired yeah. to do. We want to see the the cool ending where our characters are happy, and no matter how funny you make a failure, it's not something that people typically will go seek out. But with this game, mm-hmm. there are 120 different possible endings, and the the variety of them are fascinating, right? Because it's not just that you can romance everybody; you can choose to have a friendship ending with everybody. Yeah. And if you choose friendship over the romance, they're not going to join your party the same way, but they might give you an item that's really helpful in your journey. And oh, by the way, you can do that with all the side characters in the game as well. Anyone that is romanceable, even if they're not a main character, you have a friendship ending and a dating ending. And then there are the secret endings of which often there are multiple paths, right? If you, you know, you can have an ending in which your final choice determines which of two endings you get to see. Um, which I love, uh, especially with the Polly endings. Um, and by by Polly, I don't mean Polly like the character in Monster Prom. I mean polyamorous, um, which Monster Prom has typically done either a single relationship or a harem. I can't think of many like pure Polly endings necessarily. I could be missing things. I, I didn't get all the endings in Monster Road Trip or in Monster Camp. Um, but Doomsday Paradise has a bunch of different Polly endings, but also endings like with uh, one romance that I have in mind, uh, I think it's Tessa and Umbra. You can choose instead of being yes. in their relationship to be the wedding officiant. I did that one. I did that one. Yeah, like so what a sweet. Co- you get to be there to support your friends getting married. You don't have to hook up in this game to get a cool ending. So much in like the the monster prom. You know, again, a game I really love and have talked about a lot, very positively Played on this so podcast. Much. Yeah. You, you don't think about how limiting actually some of those choices are until a game rewards you for not doing that. It's like, oh, I can get a special ending by being on my own. And not just because I did like some weird secret thing where I put like a ghost sheet over me or I got the fan fiction book that everyone then got drawn into. But because I just helped my friends hook up and got to be a part of their lives 
where I got to choose to be good friends with somebody and we went on this journey together anyway because me saying no to a relationship didn't stop them from wanting to go to outer space with me. Like, that's... It's really cool that the game empowers that and I I give a lot of credit to the writing um, as much as, like, if you are someone who is trying to hunt down every ending, uh, that fractal sheet can sometimes be hard to keep up with. It is really cool that you have those bits there. Yeah. Now, Walter, I did play this game with you once. So you, unlike most episodes, you have a little bit of an inside scoop on this one. How did this feel compared to Monster Prom, which you've played for the show before? Well, we've played it twice. We did play it twice. We played it back-to-back days. Uh, and mm-hmm. I will agree, I I also liked it better than Monster Prom. Um, I think that it is, it, it was one of those things that, like, after we played it, I was like, all right, cool. It's like, it's nice to see the, like, get people behind Monster Prom, like, do something really cool. And you're like, oh, it's not Monster Prom people. I was like, oh, well, it's really cool that people left the studio that made Monster Prom to, like, make the studio. <laughs> like, oh, it has nothing to do with them. I think you even said it's only, like, one or two people behind the, like, development of it. Like, it's not a yeah. very large team. And there's just more to it, right? There is so much more to it. The actual, like, the battle system in and of itself is very Slay the Spire, Darkest Dungeon kind of, like, you know, styling of, like, you have the four characters in the row, but then it's a Slay the Spire style, uh, you know, card mechanic to the point where, like, yeah, you have to have builds, right? You could just get a bunch of random cards, but, like, when you get the build going and you're doing... Mm-hmm. like massive deeps it, it can, feels it a can, lot of fun it can be nasty yeah you put like 50 poison counters on someone and then they die and you're like ah yes that is great that makes me feel good because you're being rewarded for doing all the extra stuff getting the items getting the cards you know going and building up your statistics in a way that's not just like okay do you pass a stat check in the final conversation uh, which, like, you do have stat checks, but here it relies on you, you know, like Kristen said earlier, you have to pass a quest to be able to get to the, like, the romance option, right? Like, you still can have a friendly conversation with them at the end of the night, but to actually get the romance option, like, you have to do the quest for them. Uh, and there's a variety of builds, like, you can play pretty much any kind of style, and it just felt like Monster Prom was an early concept right monster prom was halo one and doomsday paradise is halo three where they're like let's try and jam as much fucking cool shit into here that's actually really good and it rewards the player for engaging with it right it is funny i do remember the option at the end about being like oh i don't want to fight i don't i just want to party And, like, I was curious about it, but I also enjoyed the combat, and I wanted to see how strong I was. So it is, like, it's really heartening to hear that, like, if you take that option, the game rewards you and gives you something else to play with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I think that that's, you know, to a certain extent, that's just the iterative nature of game development, right? For a game like this to exist, Monster Prom has to exist first. I think even Monster Prom has recognized that like things have to change to create better games because I would argue Monster Camp is just Monster Prom but longer, and I think that people kind of reacted accordingly. Whereas Monster Road Trip is a very different experience because it is much more like a survival game. You have to make sure that nothing runs out while you build up these specific um, stats that you need, and there's a real ebb and flow that creates a a different kind of dynamic. This creates a different dynamic by having a combat system and having a lot of pieces that go into that and making, you know, dropping money and just making the shop a way to engage with combat specifically if you're willing to forego all those other stat increases. And it has been interesting, you know, I've, I'm on the the Discord. Doomsday Paradise has its own Discord like most games nowadays. And, you know, it's not the largest Discord out there on the planet. Um, But it is a a passionate one with a few people that I'm happy to give a a shout out to. If you are uh, in the ending theories discussion (laughs) channel that, uh, you know, talking to uh, Mono uh, on there uh, helped start uh, them, Toad Rose, 
uh, Rin and NLD72, who I think just joined over there recently, we have been basically building the wiki from scratch because somebody needs to. Uh, and the game developer, uh, Shady, um, I hope that's how you pronounce that, S-H-A-D-I. If it's Shady, I apologize. Um, but either way, it's cool that he's there. And it's cool that you can talk to, like, the Lemonade Flashbang. And he, like, provides some perspective on some design decisions that were made. And you can be like, oh, that's why this exists the way that it does. And I, I think that's really interesting. Um, so that's a lot of love for this game. And I think we're all in favor of that. I, I do have to ask Kristen. Yeah. Do you have any criticisms of this game? Because I have one big one. Okay. And I want to save it because uh, I'm I, curious if you have the same. So the I same think flow. I know what yours is, so I won't say it. Um, I think it's it's an issue. It's not an it's not an issue, but um, it's very much in the way that like the game rewards you for. Uh, trying out all sorts of stuff and, like, not necessarily going with the romance ending. Uh, so much the same, like, it also rewards you for uh, <laughs> being mean in multiplayer. Um, mm. With, like, certain achievements and stuff, like, you have to do, like, you have to screw over, because you could play this game solo or multiplayer with other people, um to screw over like your your fellow people and we're we're the kinds of people you and me where we like to play very cooperatively we want everyone to have a good time we don't mm -hmm. really want to screw other people over um sure no i think they've done a great job i i think um i'm trying to think like obviously like because this is such a small thing i there have been like you know, random spelling errors and stuff, but I'm pretty sure those have gotten, like, fixed or patched out. And it's like, mm -hmm. I really just have so much love for this game. I really enjoy playing it. I, I want to play more of it. I've played, like, 20-something hours already. Um, yeah, which is a 35. lot. Which is a lot for me as a person who just, like, isn't playing a lot of video games right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of fun. And... When we played this, like, you said to me, um, I feel like this is more of an ending thing, but, like, you know, this is a this is a small dev company. Your money could really make a difference here. And it's just, like, absolutely, yeah. It feels great to support a small operation that is doing great work. And this is why, like, when we did the episode two weeks ago, I started with... Okay, I'm going to talk about Thirsty Suitors today, but I want you all to go buy Doomsday Paradise because it deserves, it deserves your support it. as well. I can only talk about one of these two games at the same time. So, like, go go do that. Um, but yeah, that you you are correct that that was not the criticism I was here to bring up. Um, here's my only problem with the game. And it's not a problem so much as a, a design choice that I think has consequences. Um, anyway, you, you've played trying to do like a four player game to farm multiple endings simultaneously that's oh, a yeah. classic and one of the things i realized very early on is that the game doesn't protect you from certain ending crossover so for instance let's say that you know player one is going for a secret ending and player two is going for a second secret ending when player one goes to the next location they could get an event that responds to the one that they started they could also get an event that responds to the one they that player two started they could be it, it could be completely random what ending pops up and the developer the way they put it and, and like this was a very purposeful decision right is like this is about world building right and like this you know, if, for example, one of the characters just revealed themselves to be from another dimension, and so now everybody's got, you know, these conversations about, hey, did you hear X characters from some other world? And they're all doing a bunch of different conversations around that, right? Like, that makes the world feel lived in. That player's experience matters. And since you all... You know, like rather than it being like a pocket dimension almost where only that player ever gets to hear about that, everyone does, which can be cool. But it also means that I have showed this game to people multiple times where the first time they played it, 
They picked a person that they wanted to crush. But because I picked a different person, when they went to the location, they got a secret ending path that had nothing to do with the character they wanted to crush on. And even when they tried to divert away from that ending, the game never brought them back to the initial crush that they had. Because the game is designed to build upon the things that it feeds you. It's not designed to put you on the Haley path, for instance, or the Vando path. It's there to provide numerous paths based on the characters that everyone in the game picked. And, you know, that's not inherently bad necessarily, but if I have a friend who wanted to date Haley and they didn't get any Haley uh, events because the first event was triggered from a side ending between my character and another friend's character. And by the time that they started getting Haley dates, it was way too late for them to do anything with that. Mm. That feels bad because they weren't here to just play doomsday paradise, the full game and universe that I'm invested in. Cause I've played it for 35 hours. They wanted to date the character that they picked. And I think that that is a consequence of the design that I do think might want to be re-examined if there is ever a sequel to this game. I think that there there has to be a balance between making the world feel lived in and like it has this deeper thing going on based on the characters that you're choosing to focus on and giving you the ability to say, if I'm picking that I want to romance this person, let me engage with that character because I told you that that's a character I want to engage with. Um, but you, like how much of a flaw that is depends on how you play, right? If you're playing single player, okay. it doesn't matter at all. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter which of the four characters triggers the secret ending. If you're ending hunting the way you and I did. Um, so there's the mileage will vary on how much of a problem that is, but that is a thing I've definitely run into. So with all that being said, and I do know it's it's not very common that I've also played the game that you've played. Do you think that there is anything else that could be done to improve this monster prom doomsday paradise-esque genre? Or do you think doomsday paradise, besides those minor kind of quibbles with like the multiplayer stuff, has really kind of nailed what this experience could and should be. So I I'll I would love to hear your thoughts, Kristen, but I will just say I would like this to be an entire genre of game in yeah. which everyone finds multiple ways. I want to play Monster Prom, but it's a detective game, <gasps> and you have to figure out which of the crushes is actually the killer here and unpack all of that through some deduction puzzles or whatever else. I want to play the version that has like a larger, like, well, I was about to say like a, like third person world exploration element, but um, I think we, we've, we've played a, a similar game um, in the past on that, Kristen. Um, oh God, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my, uh, my head. It was one we talked on this before where we had to like go around the town and solve the mystery. Um, it was like the third person action thing. There's a big trial at the end. It wasn't really oh, oh, great oh, at doing yeah, the mystery yeah, yeah, side of things. Yeah. Uh, God, what is it called? It is. I I was thinking about it. Aviary Attorney? No, 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 no. It came out. No. I remember we talked about it like winter of 2020. Um, oh, okay. Let me, let me pull up our handy dandy spreadsheet here. Something... Something. It's it's on the spreadsheet and it's it says a lot about the game. That Is it? It's we both Paradise know exactly Killer. what we're talking. About. It's Paradise, Paradise Killer. Thank Killer. you. Killer. Gotcha. I knew it had Paradise in the name somewhere. I couldn't figure it out. Like, but like a Paradise Killer, but more of this gamified angle. Like, I would totally be in on that. Um, yeah. You want to add like a you know Paradise uh, like the Monster Prom, but like Jet Set Radio I... stuff attached to it. I'm in. I would, yeah, I would be so down for, like, an expansion on of this genre and what it can do. And I think that um, 
Doomsday Paradise is doing it. They are opening the doors. Uh, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, uh, if you're listening to this uh, Lemonade flashbang, um, I, I will just say, I hope that you make DLC for this game. Uh, I know that it can be expensive to develop for a game uh, depending on how much uh, it has sold. And, you know, I don't know what your sales numbers look like beyond just kind of making some guesses from the review count that you have on Steam. But I want to give you more of my money because I want to support what you're doing. I would absolutely buy a costume pack for the characters I have or buy a sixth character that I could play (gasps) as a player that has its own like voice lines and things. I would buy enemy packs if you want to add a couple more enemies that I can fight, you know, whether it's a third boss or even just some mid-tier things. Uh, I would buy a lot of cosmetic new outfits for my my dates uh, with maybe a couple extra endings, you know, in, and uh, events along the way, similar to like Monster Prom first uh, first class. I think it is the first expansion that came with that one. Um, I would give like so much I, money. I would pay money. Yeah, I, I well, whichever version of that is cost effective based on what you think the upkeep would look like. I hope that you do something because I want to support this game more. I want reasons to keep playing this game. There's a reason I am in a discord in which you have a lot of, you know, passionate people who are trying to un- unlock and figure out every single thing um, that your game has to offer because there's some really cool stuff here. Um, and I hope that there are people who are playing this and are inspired by this and monster prom and make whatever the next thing looks like. I don't know how many genres that you can combine with this, but I know that I will play all of them because there's the core of this is something that is very wholesome and supportive and fun and silly and uplifting and shenanigans abound. And I I think that's all worth supporting. I think that's pretty reasonable. So from what it sounds like is you want a doomsday paradise clue edition. Sure. Hell yeah. That would be so fun. How about this? Doomsday Paradise Total War. Let's fucking go. Let's go full on, like, civilization style. But you have to date the enemy factions if you want to make alliances with them. I'm in. I'm in. I'm so in. That's just... I mean, that's kind of politics. Like That's politics. Political marriage. Yeah. I'm just saying there are much there there are some uh, there's plenty of untapped energy here. I I think it's safe to say that I recommend this game given I recommended it last week. So there's no real hang up there. Kristen, do you recommend this game? Absolutely, I do. Get this game. Play this game. I I I think that that's I mean, what what more do you need to hear, folks? Well, I guess what you need to hear is thank you so much for listening. We hope you had a great time with this episode and have as much fun listening as we had recording it. Um, we'll be back in two weeks for another episode of this one, but every week that we're not doing this, we've got our delightful movie podcast final cut. So hopefully you'll come back for that as well. Kristen, of course, thank you so much for joining us. Where can the nice people at home find you? If they, they would like to keep up with what you're up to. They can find me at, uh, Kate Pignolo at Blue Sky, Kate Pignolo at Twitter, uh, Instagram also, threads I'm not really on, but you know, I'm there. It's all Kate Pignolo, and the spelling is weird, so it'll be in the description. It sure will. Uh, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? As always, you guys can follow me uh, on Twitter at C80s underscore LOL, and on Blue Sky at C80s.bsky.social. The podcast is on Twitter at Rough Jazz Podcast. Listen, I got a list here of things to do, and and po- podcast on Blue Sky is still on here. I, I haven't crossed it off, but it'll be there. It'll be there. It, it'll be there. Someday. You need an invite because I can I can give you an invite. 
No, I have oh, seven. We've got the invites. I'm okay. not the problem. See, here's the funniest <laughs> thing. So I was doing, I, I've been doing some coursework for a leadership certificate from E. Cornell. So from Cornell Ooh. University. So I absolutely will be Walter from Cornell once I graduate that program. And one of the classes was talking about time management. And there was a, a like a part of it that was like procrastination versus distraction. And I was like, homie, I don't need to be taught about procrastination. I've got a master's degree in it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, in the meantime, you can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter, chasewassenaar.bsky.social. Um, and of course, we're doing some Twitch streams every now and then. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the uh, journey of wrestling streams that uh, Walter uh, and our good pal uh, Eduardo and Xander have been up to. Uh, when I'm not accidentally uh, screwing up Eduardo's plans by hitting the wrong button accidentally. Uh, it's been a grand old time. So uh, if you enjoy that or enjoy, I don't know, watching Doomsday Paradise, which I streamed with Shay uh, about a month ago by the time you're listening to this. Um, check that out, twitch.tv, Redshirt King. Uh, I'm hoping to do some more streaming things in the near future. Um, and you'll get a, a sneak preview of some of the games that are maybe coming up on this uh podcast but for now uh we're gonna wrap up here and we'll see you in two weeks until then goodbye internet